Hey everyone, this is Eric from the Nostalgia Podcast. I wanted to chat with y'all and express our apologies a little bit before we get this episode started. Um, so before and during the recording of this episode, we were not aware that the generalized and ubiquitously used term for Romani people was a slur. In this episode, we use the term several times, so we sincerely apologize and will, moving forward, not be using this term in any way, shape, or form. And in the same way that we were hoping that people question their own place in this world, we're questioning ours and we're making mistakes in the process. And that's allowing us to grow and to be better because when we know better, we can do better. And since we were ignorant to this before recording this podcast, we just wanted to let you know that we have learned and that we acknowledge our fault in using this term during this episode. So please bear in mind uh, going into this that that will be said. Thank you for the opportunity to be better, and uh, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening, and hope you enjoy the episode despite that. So, thank you so much. Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebvre. And my name is Jessica Tercero. And this week, we watched The Wolfmen. The Wolfmen! Um, we the start- Wolfman. The Wolfman, yeah. yeah. So we started with the 1941 version directed by George Wagner, starring Lon Chaney Jr., and then we followed it up with the 2010 version that I forgot existed, directed by Joe Johnson, who did Jumanji and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which is like, what? Wait, really? Yeah, I know. Isn't that weird? I didn't realize that. Both of um, those movies were so much better than they this They were. One. They was not great. Um, starring Benicio Del Toro, uh, Emily Blunt, and Anthony Hopkins. So, all-star cast. Not so all-star... Performances. Film. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay, let's get into it. Let's jump in. So the 1942 Wolfman is about a privileged boy named Lawrence Talbot who comes home after his brother's sudden death and reconnects with his estranged father. After meeting a local shopkeeper named Gwen, they visit a local fortune teller together. However, their visit is interrupted by a werewolf attack that results in the death of Gwen's friend and a gypsy man who's played by Bella Lugosi. Bella Lugosi! During the attack, Lawrence is bitten by a wolf and descends further into his predatory nature, ultimately causing him to become the, the predator. predator. So, this movie was fun. Oh boy. So, this movie has a lot to do with sort of like allegorical tendencies leaning against like predatory behavior when it comes to like men against women like it starts off where he's essentially peeping on this girl in her bedroom uh from his house because i got this like fancy telescope and he's like i gotta go find her so he goes to the shop that she lives above and goes and asks her about a pair of earrings she's not selling and follows it up with she's like oh well how do you know about those and he's like because they're upstairs in your bedroom on your dresser and it's like get the fuck out of here it's so gross and then she's like uh how do you know that and he's like well i know everything about beautiful women and you're like you know what I don't know. No, he tries to be like, I'm psychic, baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, but but under the guise of, like, you're beautiful and, like, date me. Can we just say, Predator. like... Predator. Like, it's just... 
Also, the, the entire, like, I was, I thought the entire thing, because, like, they made this big, grand showing of this big telescope, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, because the moon and stuff like that, yeah. right? No, like, literally no. the only reason to, like, bring in that is, like, oh, I'm a tinkerer, which never comes back in the film, no. right? We no. never see him being handy with nope. anything. We just see him being, like, a little baby. Yeah. A little whiny baby the whole time. But, like, it is literally just so he can spy on this woman. Yeah. That's then, the whole thing. That's how they chose to introduce this character. Yeah, so already they're setting the stage for he is a shitty guy who is a predator, which I like that they're, like, because I know that they're trying to set him up as a hero or as, like, the person who we're supposed to like in some capacity, which makes his inner turmoil later, like, oh, poor him. But no, he's a predator from the beginning. He's a predator till the end. That is the end of the story. That is the story of the Wolfman. But... It's just wild to me that, like, that's that's where they started it. I didn't like it. Well, and that's what carries the whole thing through, yeah. right? Is his his relationship to Gwen. Yes. The reason that he's bit by the wolf is because he's out with Gwen. Yes. Which, also, she has a fucking fiancé. <sighs> and she's allowing this to happen, right? She's like... So he, like, creepily hits on her, right? He's like, oh, like, those earrings. Oh, you know, like, what are you doing at eight? No, I can't go out with you. Yeah. What do you... I'll be here at eight. No, this I'm, isn't okay. I'm not going, but I'll be here at eight. Yeah. And then she fucking goes out there at eight? Yeah, I was sh- so mad. But, like, at least she brings a friend. So I but, did love that. But then they're both hanging on his arm. So that, I was like, what the fuck? So it seemed like they were trying to do this thing where, like, it's not going to happen. She brings, like, oh, yeah, we'll go out. I brought my friend and she's joining us. Sorry. But, like you said, then it makes it look like, oh, now he has two women. That's exactly now there's what two objects of affection uh. as opposed to one, which was just a weird way to play that. But then they also kill her off. Very quickly. Very quickly. And now it feels like Gwen starts falling for him. And especially later when. There's sort of the frenzy of of, um, the mob mentality against him. Like, I think he's the one. We're going to try to find him. He's diving further into madness of like, I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know what's happening. And when they go to the shop or when he goes to the shop to tell her to stay away from him and like runs away or whatever. She's like, no, you can't go. I have to be with like sort of a thing. And it seems very forced, but also it just... It seems unrealistic that this person who was so strong in her convictions of like, hey, I'm married or I'm uh, engaged. This isn't going to happen. Shows up to the date. Her friend dies and then she falls in love with him even more. And you're like this. But while her friend is off dying, right? Yeah. This dude has her against a tree. Like, so he takes her out. He gets her alone, which yeah. is like super predatory. Most gross dudes will do that. Yeah. And then he's just like. Hey, and he's like uncomfortably close to her, and she's still trying to say like, "No, this isn't going to happen." And pretty much the only reason it doesn't happen right then is because they hear the scream of her friend dying. Yeah, and that's just like really fucked up. And then every like, so that sets the stage. So like, there's the shared trauma from them, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, and we'll get into him killing the wolf in a minute. But I want to go over to like his reaction to meeting her fiance. Because he, like, goes up to her, like, and is just so close and is like, hey, blah, 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 blah. And then the fiancé shows up and it's like, what the fuck, right? He, like, slinks down, like, with his tail between his legs. He's like, ugh, it was so slimy. Yeah, so Lawrence Talbot just sucks, generally. He is a trash character. He's just a bad guy. 
he's a bad guy that we're supposed to empathize with because he's quote unquote misunderstood or quote unquote has some sort of like a monster inside him that he's struggling with and being a wolf who's transformative like we're supposed to be like oh poor thing like no not poor thing he was a bad guy in life he's going to continue to be a bad guy even when he's visibly a bad monster like nothing's changed yeah even before he got bit by the werewolf right yeah he had this predatory nature yeah and that was clear from the beginning and then as he continues to go further down that once he gets bit by the wolf then it gets a little bit more a little bit more apparent, right? Yeah. And then there's several moments where, like, they could have apprehended him or they could have done something. But each time, the men in the film are like, oh, no, 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 he's fine. He didn't do it. Like, when Lawrence kills the wolf, right? And it's a dude. Rather than being like, oh, hey, like, you murdered somebody, you're going to jail. It's like, well, it was, you know, there was a lot happening. You know, there was a lot of movement. He didn't mean to. And then it's like, oh, okay, he's fine. But, like, so by allowing this dude to continue this behavior and not having him have any consequences, they're essentially dooming him, right? Because he's not kept in check at all. And a lot of me wonders if one man or one dude is convicted of this, then none of the other men are safe, right? It felt very much like a pack. They're a pack that has to stick together and has to, like, shelter them. Ooh. I didn't even think about that. That's so true. And... In the allegory that is wolves and wolf packs, that is so sick. I didn't even think about that. Whoa. (laughs) That, no, that's so true because it's hard for me. It was hard to distinguish that or at least see it because generally men are so terrible and so like quick to excuse their cohorts, other men who look like them. They're so quick to say like, well, let's look at it from every side. Let's, let's see who really did this. It's like, no, they did it stop well he didn't mean it yeah he didn't mean it and that's kind of what they were saying with this right like oh this person doesn't matter because he didn't mean to do a murder he didn't mean to do murder okay it was an accident murder yeah and that's that's fine like nobody's gonna miss this guy that's kind of what they were saying um and that was really really shitty because for lots of reasons obviously but it's just they were sheltering each other i have a big question yes I know this is giving a lot of credence and sort of credit to the people who made this movie. Do you think that they intentionally, or sorry, that their take on his predatory behavior was negative and they were painting him in a negative light from the beginning? No, absolutely not. Because of its timing, right? Well, because, so I did a little bit of research and it turns out the the person that wrote this film, he was in Germany when during the war and stuff like that like and saw the rise of the nazis yeah and so his like this was all written to help him cope with that i think help him cope with the trauma of being involved with the war yeah so according to this he had been living in germany only to have nazi germany kind of rise up around him Mm -hmm. and so the parallel is how larry finds himself thrown into all of this chaos and It's so easy for him to become the werewolf because there's all of this chaos and he doesn't know what to do. So, like, the idea that an otherwise good man can be transformed into a vicious killing animal who knows his next victim when he sees, like, the star. Yeah. Which is a pentagram here, but, like, the star of David, right? (gasps) Because they they persecuted Jews and all this other stuff. So this person can be a totally good person, but when he gets caught up in this movement or in whatever, then... A good man can just go with this. I think 
is that's kind of what I read, and it was a little bit confusing. But like, if we unpack that, so he's essentially using the the bestial tendencies. My dog Lucy is just <laughs> giving me so much love right now. She just came bounding down the stairs um, like a wolf. Um, <laughs> no, she's perfect. Uh, so there's he's essentially equating the complacency of a lot of the German people during the rise of the Nazis with being good but misunderstood. Yes. And saying, like, even though he is a beast, he's not necessarily intentionally doing this. Yes. Oh, that's gross. Which is very gross. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Ew. (laughs) I don't like that at all. (laughs) Well, and... So, he's giving acceptability to complacency in times of turmoil and pre-genocide. And saying, by not doing anything, you're fine, even though you're going to be seen as a bad guy. But he's saying that's okay. Well, because we're supposed to sympathize with him. so Because of his struggle. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, uh, no. Let me, let me bring up oh. the, uh, the synopsis from IMDb for this one. You read it. A practical man returns to his homeland, is attacked by a creature of folklore, and infected with a horrific disease his disciplined mind tells him cannot possibly exist. So he's a practical man. So he is... He's a good dude. He's a man's he's man. He's just he's a, a regular victim Joe. of this, like, this crazy thing that happened. Yeah. He's a victim of, uh, for lack of a better word, brainwashing. I know. She's just going crazy. <laughs> Lucy, you're so cute. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. What a... Okay. So just big initial thoughts on this. What a fuck and what a shitty story. This is why it's, I didn't it's know this. all patriarchy, Yeah, it right? is all it's patriarchy. It's all, like, just making excuses for the collective behavior of men. And of... <laughs> yeah. And of this predatory nature. And so the, the thing is, like, all... Everybody has this capability yeah. in them, right? Mm-hmm. To become a killer, to become this. But it's just only when it's unlocked by certain circumstances is that able to fully come to fruition, right? Or are you able to enact on that? Yeah. But anybody has this capability inside of them. Yeah. So it's allowing... But it's not their fault, no. right? It's something outside of them yeah. that is forcing this to come so they don't have control over it. Yeah. Isn't that the hysteria argument in a lot of court systems yes. where, oh, well, I was driven mad by hysteria in circumstances of... Uh, racist violence or homophobic violence or anything or uh, in a lot of cases rape where it's like in some sort of hysteric moment that is their claim against it which is just so abhorrent but also as we can see here has been going on for fucking literally ever <laughs> jeez oh, I didn't know that this movie like I okay I know that I this knew. I knew it was bad yeah. and the whole predatory thing I didn't know that it was this bad from a story writing standpoint it was really hard for me to watch because yeah. i the first episode the mummy i loved that i loved every second of yeah. it even if when i hated it but this i kept looking at the the 1942 version is only an hour and i was like fuck i have like 30 minutes to go on this bullshit yeah and it was really hard because i've had men in my life act like this you know like oh you're married oh uh, like whatever yeah. it's so True, yeah. and so hard to watch yeah. because it was such a raw take on it, I feel, yeah. that we don't get a lot of. True. 
Well, getting a take from the men's side in the in the idea of just like, well, not all men and. Well, it, it was because of this, like, again, excusatory behavior, like we said before, but getting that story directly from somebody who fully and truly believes that with all of their being. That's why, for me, I interpret it as this person has to understand how they're presenting this character because. It was intentional. It was intentional, but like. I was, I guess that was my optimism, hoping that it was more of like a we're writing a bad character because he's a bad guy. End of story. No matter what, no matter transformative, no matter how it goes on, he's a creep, he's a predator, that's the end of the story. He's supposed to be a man's man, right? <sighs> so, like, it's kind of like that's... a little fairy tale, too, yeah. in a way, because he is estranged. So he's off at boarding school. He hasn't seen his dad in, like, 18 years, yeah. right? So he comes back because his brother is dead, and he's going to be the heir to this estate. Yeah. And so they do. A, they make a lot of dialogue about, these are your people, this is your home. Yeah. Like, you are the person. So they're also kind of setting it up for some power abuse, right? Which he absolutely does take advantage of. Oh, 100%. You know? Yeah. And that's also predatory, right? So everything in this film is supposed to be, oh, he's just a man's man. He's this. So, you know, the two girls on the arms, you know, like, oh, he didn't mean to kill somebody. Yeah. And then they're all just kind of, like, sheltering that. And there's... There's nothing redeeming about his character. No, nothing at all. That's so crazy. There's so much more to this that I... Oh, my gosh. Fuck. What else do we say about Lawrence Talbot, the piece of shit? Um, I mean, in the end, he ends up killing all these people, but then in the end, he's killed by his own father. Right. And after he's killed by his own father, he's revered as a hero, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they cover it up by saying, like, because his dad kills him, right? So and then like, his dad oh, sees how he, he transforms he back. He came to the rescue of this woman. It's like they're going to erect a statue of him because yeah. it's like, my dude, you know? Like, yeah. You know, this wasn't your fault. It's fine. You know, you were trying to protect everybody. They also say he was trying to protect the woman who he's essentially entrapped Gwen Concleef because yeah. she's there and they were like oh he must have been there to protect her poor guy yeah and then the, the dad covers that shit up uh, yeah. yeah and, and that's it that's <laughs> literally there's no there's no follow up scene it's just he's dead he must have been saving her and the dad's like oh the end nothing else the dad's like yeah cool cool like, you know <laughs> family <laughs> legacy above anything else yeah because there is no accountability no and because he doesn't want to have to deal with the ramifications of his son becoming that person. Yeah. Or owning up to those acts. Yeah. And I also want to point out how unquestioning, like you said earlier, the townspeople are, even when presented with evidence of the contrary, that, like, Lawrence is the wolfman. Like, the moment when he's out and they're all, like, on the hunt looking for the person, they set the bear traps and everything... He transforms back into a human, but he's completely disheveled. He's, like, missing his shoes. He's bloodied. He's dirty. And he's, like, walking around like he's drunk. He walks by two of the townspeople who are out looking for him. And they're like, what are you doing out here? And he's like, well, the same thing you are. I'm also looking for the wolf man. And they're like, oh, cool. Well, carry on. (laughs) (laughs) But he looks obviously like a fucking monster. He looks like the person they're looking for. And they're just like, oh, sick. Carry on, fella. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Which is just, again, more more reason of just 
these moments of cover-up of not just abuse of power and sort of acceptance of predatory behavior, but because he's just one of the guys, they're all sort of complicit in it, and they allow the cover-up, and they let the cover-up happen. Hi, Lucy. I love you, too. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, so another thing we could talk about is after he kills the wolf. Once the authorities confront him as a suspect for the first murder, mm-hmm. right? For the murder of the gypsy man. Yeah. Uh, Bella Lugosi. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting, cool cameo, though. Interesting fact. Bella Lugosi was campaigning super hard to be that to be Larry. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's like a Donald Glover Spider-Man situation. Yeah. And then cool. they also... The part was originally written for Boris Karloff. Oh, <gasps> that would have been sick. And I can't remember why they didn't get him. He might have been like, nah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. But um, once he's confronted by the authorities as a suspect for the murder of Bela Lugosi's character, they let him off. They're like, oh, yeah, this dude was killed, you know? You might have. And he's like, no, no, no. I know what I killed, and it was a wolf. And they're like, oh, cool. No problem. Yeah. They didn't find a body (laughs) of a wolf, but they're just like, you said you believed or you killed a wolf? We believe you. It's cool. For sure. You know, yeah. Chill. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. It's just, it's really, really fucked up. Yeah. Like he, he's a predator that is enabled and gets so far down the rabbit hole that he can't stop. And he turns into an actual fucking predator. Yeah. Like the, the more he's enabled, he actually becomes a fucking animal. Yeah. Which is horrible sentiment, again, going back to... He can't help himself. He can't help himself. It's his surroundings. It's, it's other people. It's not him. His actions are not his own, which is, shut up. Like, go to bed. Please. Take a nap for a while. Please stop talking about Please. it. Like, it's just, it's just the most... I don't know. That excusatory behavior, <sighs> coupled with complicit behavior, is just so tiring. And especially in our current social shit with politics and cops and all that shit. It's just like, uh, it's disgusting and gross and awful and I hate it so much. And let's talk about the classist sentiments of this film. Yeah. The way that they constructed a sort of like poor narrative within it with the gypsy people who existed. It's sort of like the othering again, back to like how Hollywood does this with any sort of white story. Any non-white person is othered always no yeah. matter what they were treated like as kind of a commodity yeah so they go to them for fun or for like ooh, like this is weird and different so they go to them for the readings yeah they go to them later for this big giant celebration this funeral which they're like it's not biblical that you celebrate the death this is this is not how you should do it, but we're going to take place in your games and everything anyway. Yeah, like, yeah. we're, we're going to be here to enjoy this, but this is not how you fucking do this. <laughs> yeah. Right? So they're they're willing to participate, but they are so quick to judge. Totally. I didn't like how in the process of becoming the Wolfman, he blames one of the gypsy people as being like, oh, well, the only reason I'm like this is because of him. Because I was bitten by one of your kind, one of you people. And in that process, there's this whole othering of like, oh no, I'm one of them now. And I think a lot of that was like riddled with fears of poor people and fears of, because like he's hella rich. Lawrence is insanely wealthy. They come from a place of privilege. And then going there and the more 
the story continues, I think there's something to be said for his physical appearance, right? So the idea of being unkempt and disheveled, like he grows more hair, he becomes uh, less maintained, his clothes become ripped and, and, and all that stuff as, as a way to sort of visually symbolize a lack of wealth and a lack of status. So I think there's like this weird conversation or allegory between classist ideals of like, he's losing his power because he's losing his money and visibly he's looking less like a kept upper class citizen and that's monstrous and that is disgusting and that is gross and he is not us he is othered he is somebody else yeah i completely you know what i mean i agree with that and i think it's also really interesting that so when this is happening he doesn't i mean he goes to gwen but he goes to gwen and tells her in like a again a predatory type way where he's yeah. like he tells her a secret. He tells her this is what's going on. Stay away from me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And he uses it to, like, lure her in because, yeah. like, it's appealing to her maternal instincts. Trying okay. to trying to help, trying to be there for somebody, trying to, like, be a good person. But the only other person that he goes to for help or goes to talk to is the gypsy woman who mm-hmm. was... Um, her son was the wolf man, the yeah. original one. Or not the original, but the but first the, one in this film. Yeah, the one who gets killed and essentially yeah. transfers... And she, like, while we talked about earlier, like, all of the men in this film, uh, all of the townsfolk are trying to shelter him from himself. Yeah. And trying to shelter them as the pack. She is the only one that is actually telling him what is happening. She's the only one that tells him the truth, that makes him confront himself, that, like, literally makes him look in the mirror at what he's become, and does not give him any leeway to say, like, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. And she's like... Nah, dude, you are this person. You did this, you are this person. Yes. Yeah. She, so because she's removed from that, from that world, that like that uh, illusion that they're trying to maintain, she's the one. She's the one yeah. that's like real. Yeah. And I think uh, what's fun, well, not fun about that, but more often than not, the only people who seem to have any sort of empathetic or real sympathetic not even sympathetic any sort of real take or any sort of real opinion in a lot of these movies at least thus far are oftentimes women of color or women in general or anybody who has been ostracized as the other right it's never the main character they're never the one who has a uh, an epiphany of maybe i've done something wrong maybe they're never wise they're never wise yeah the only people who are wise oftentimes are the women of these films yes um, truly very yeah and it's just Let's tell more of those stories. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to know how, like, more about those women and how they became who they became and how they got that knowledge and yeah. how, like, what, what have they lived through to where they know this and this, like, you know, middle-aged white man who's never had any hardship, he doesn't know. And why is it, again, that they have to go to these women and, like, be patronizing about it, too. Be like, you made me this way, or blah. Like, they're, they're always so angry about it, or, like, and it's always really accusatory, right? Yeah. It's never like, well, fix this. Yeah. We'll do this. Like, because they're so uncomfortable with having to live with themselves in a different way because they don't like change. And they, they don't like change for better or for worse, but, like, they can't cope with that is another thing, yeah. right? They just want to go back to the way that things were. Yeah. And isn't that so telling of 
the conversation of an unexamined life for especially a lot of like white men where because we live in a patriarchal white supremacy they never have to question their existence no matter what they do they will always be accepted they will always exist because they pass as a white male presenting person right but other people have to question their shit on the daily women have to constantly question their place in this world queer people people of color are constantly reminded that they don't fit in and therefore have to think about where they exist in this world, how they present, how they are and who they are in a system that says that they're less than. And so I think a lot of the wisdom that comes from these female figures and, and, and other people in these stories comes directly from an examined life. Somebody who's had to like see that they are othered, see that they are not a part of this white systemic uh, white supremacy, right? Like it's, they they see that every day and the wisdom comes just directly from having to examine their place in this world whereas white men never have to. Like Lawrence Sabo, he never had to question anything. Like he came from wealth, he came from all this stuff until shit starts changing and he starts becoming the other. Then he's like, well, no, I've never done that. You did this to me and it's your fault. Then it's because it's, it's, it's immaturity at its finest. You didn't have to do anything or work hard to become who you were in this world. It was all just given to you. And now in this moment where you have to reconcile that and come face to face with the idea of you being different, it's not your fault. Right. Why would it be your fault? You've never done anything wrong. You've never had to ask why you do things because everything that you do is acceptable and accepted within this system. So yeah, he's going to be a baby about it. Be like, no, you did this to me. Blah and blah. And I mean, I'm assuming some of that comes from the fact that he's like a rich boy also from that systemic classist state of mentality that he's in. And that's why he goes after Gwen, right? Is because yeah. he's looking for somebody to enable him and to say like, oh, no, it's not your fault, sweetie. Yeah. Like, oh, no, no, no. It's okay. We're going to fix you. Yeah. And it's the white woman who is like kind of benefited from being a white woman because she gets to marry this white man that has privilege and has money and has all this stuff. She gets to marry so, power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She gets to marry power. And so she has, she doesn't necessarily have a voice, but she is able to, she also kind of protects him just like the pack does. Yeah. The pack of men. <laughs> she is also in that, but she's the one that he goes to for comfort Yeah, where he can't show that to the men. Yeah, right? because then that's a whole conversation about vulnerability because within a masculine state of mind or our idea of what masculine people do, i.e. men, you're not allowed to be small or show vulnerability, right? So he couldn't go to them and be like, hey guys, I'm feeling this way because then they'll be like, whatever slew of epithets they want to throw at him that <laughs> equate to uh, femininity or smallness or weakness under a sort of a system that privileges masculine people right so having her as the sounding board for feeling like i don't know what's going on and i feel strange and i i'm being vulnerable with you that's it's okay baby come yeah. here i'll let take me, care let me of help you. you let me let we'll figure this out together yeah. you know like because truly like the the pack isn't who they go to for comfort mm-hmm. or to be supported no. right it's just where they yell a lot and then it's like uh no we got your back whatever where they're all but named the, kyle and the, they all the punch place- holes and walls <laughs> The the place where they try to find their humanity a lot, it feels like, is through women. Yes. Yeah. And it's different for, like, when he goes to the white woman to get comfort, right? It's, he's allowing himself to be vulnerable and, again, trying to, like, prey on her and be like, look, I'm vulnerable with you, but nobody else. Yeah. But, like, and so the way he approaches her to ask for answers or, you know, to question himself 
is in this like really like delicate uh, soft way but when he goes to the gypsy woman for that it is just very abrasive and it is very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because he is Again, like it's it's the treatment of women of color. Yeah, right. Well, I also they're not allowed that courtesy. And I also they're not allowed. That and courtesy. they're not allowed to see that vulnerable side of him. But I also think it's a sexual thing because he he sees her as an object of affection. So because he wants to have sex with her, he's going to treat her better. And that's Gwen. Gwen, yes, yeah. as opposed to the fortune like, teller. No, that's what I'm saying. No, 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 no. But you know what I mean? Tell my fortune, baby. He, he's treating her better because he sees her as a sexual object, whereas True. the woman of color, he's not seeing her as a sexual object. So he's just like, what's wrong with you and why is this happening? And blah, blah, blah. He's way more abrasive because he's not trying to impress her because he doesn't care about her. He only wants her to help him because he thinks that she owes that to him when in fact she doesn't. She doesn't. And I love that she just kind of stuck around just to watch. Just to what witness. Because she was there at the end too when he gets killed. She just like. Mm. I mean, the whole time she was there, right? <laughs> like the rest of the gypsies all like bounced. And she yeah. was just like. I couldn't tell if like she she had been caring for the wolf her whole life from host to host or, or whatever, right? Oh, possibly. Because um, she stuck around to try to care for him or try to like. And maybe not care for him, but kind of like help him to cope with the changes that he's going through, which was way more than she needed to do. But it was also super great that she, like, she was just kind of there and just like, nah, dude, you suck. Yeah, (laughs) you're the worst. You're awful. Also, you're never going to be fixed. This is just who you are and you got to accept it. Yeah. You know? He's like, but why? But why? She's like, because you're trash. What do you mean? (laughs) Like, that's just, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, I feel like that's largely the sum of it. Um, yeah, I think so. The only two parts that I really wanted to talk about outside of that were, one, the music for this is fucking wild. I didn't know how to feel at any given moment. I couldn't tell if I was supposed to be scared or excited or feel romantic or anything. Yeah. It was just... It was so weird. I was so... Like, my emotions were so confused the entire time. I didn't even notice the music. It was very confusing. I feel like I was just so mad the whole time. (laughs) I didn't notice how to feel about anything else. It was like, this guy sucks. And uh, also, I want to talk about, like, the whole pentagram thing. Oh, yeah. Because it was so funny. (laughs) Like, what was your story on Instagram? Oh, I didn't know that this was, like, a Steven Universe crossover. Because he opens it up, it's like like an eyeliner pencil drawn on his chest. (laughs) Of, like, a star in a circle. But it doesn't even look like a pentagram. It's just a star in a circle. And I was like... Oh, wow. Look cute. at this. So cute. But it, like, I'm pretty sure it was eyeliner. <laughs> like, it was just an eyeliner stick that they were like, here, just open your shirt and, like, draw this. And he's like, oh, no, the mark of the beast. And you're like, oh, my God, go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, but then uh, it's also really interesting because the next victim gets the pentagram on their hand. Right? Oh, it, it doesn't. It doesn't even, like, look like a pentagram. It's just a fucking star. Yeah. Right? But, like, gets the pentagram on their hand. And I thought that that was really interesting because going back to predatory behaviors and stuff, it's premeditated. Yeah. They almost like imprint on one person, right? And are like, you're my next victim. Yeah. And it's not conscious. So like when Bella Lugosi decides, or like when he's telling her friend, I think her name was like Judith or something, the friend that gets killed very early on. Oh, yes. yes, She's had her fortune told. And he's telling her fortune, and she sees the pentagram, and he freaks out because he's like, get the fuck away from me, all of that. And the same thing when Larry does that to Gwen. 
just get the fuck away from me. You need to leave because I can't control myself. Mm-hmm. So what does that say? <sighs> that men are trash. <laughs> but it's interesting that it's it's just very targeted here, it is. right? To one person. Yeah. So. <sighs> fuck. It's... Ee- yeah, I don't know. I'm so all over the place with this fucking thing. I can't get over the fact that this guy sucks so much. I also didn't like that when they imprinted the beast in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just like a little light. It was like a little. It was <laughs> yeah. like a little light with like a cutout gel of like a shitty star, and they're just like wavering it over, and it looks like it's like hovering. It's like very clearly like, like oh no, yeah. I've oh. been marked. So it's just yeah. like what. It's really like somebody funny. with a dumb Fisher Price flashlight that scribbled a star on the end and was just like shiny on your skin, like "haha, you've been tagged." And they're like, "Oh my god, I'm a wolf." Movie magic. Yeah, truly. <laughs> oh my god. It's like so impressed. It's like analog CG. I mean, they did the best <laughs> with what they could. No, they could have done better. They I think they could have done better. better. Yeah. And just like the mummy, like when the dude was in like full werewolf costume, he'd yeah. go and terrorize the lead actress on the set. Oh and stuff like my that. god. Yeah. Also. They lost a bear while they were filming. They actually lost a bear? They actually lost a bear. And the bear went to attack the lead actress. And, (gasps) like, she literally had to, like, scramble up some scaffolding. And a lighting dude pulled her up. No shit. And then the bear just bounced. They lost a 600-pound bear. Whoa. (laughs) How do you do that? They should have a movie about that. (laughs) What? That would have been way more interesting. That would have been way more interesting than this. That's cool. (laughs) Like, it just, like... Where were they filming that it was just like, they're filming and then bounced? Because that, that footage never made it to the film. The bear. The bear. Well, because later they have the bear in The New Wolfman. Is yeah. that like a throw a callback to, the, to when they lost the bear? I feel like there were so many callbacks that it was Ugh. just a fucking mess. Isn't that weird yeah. that that movie was like nine years ago? It hasn't aged well. It has not. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't great, but it's yeah. even worse now. It was an ugly baby to begin with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So now we're going to talk about the Wolfman from the year 2010. After receiving news of his brother's disappearance, actor Lawrence Talbot returns home to his family's estate in the process of reconnecting with his abusive father and discovering the true nature of his brother's death. He's haunted by the ghosts of his past. During his search for the truth, he is bitten by a werewolf, falls in love with his brother's widow, kills a lot of people and gets sent to an insane asylum again. During his stay, his father reveals the true nature of his mother's murder, after which Lawrence kills a lot of other people and makes his way back home to confront the true True villain. villain. (laughs) (laughs) So this movie is was directed by Joe Johnson, which I know I said this earlier, but he directed Jumanji and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and the first Captain America. So, I know, I know, I didn't include that in the first thing. Really? Yeah, isn't that weird? So... Those were all. Why was this movie so, so bad? Much. <laughs> so this movie was trashed by comparison to all of those because Juanji was great, Honey Shrunk Kids was cool. Like he knows how to make. He knows how to like, make a movie. Yeah, he knows how to make not just a movie, but like things that are very nostalgic for us now. Like Jumanji just came back. Yeah. Because everybody's like, "Fuck yeah!" I'm Jumanji. sure they're gonna try to do Honey I Shrunk the Kids at some point because that movie was sick. For sure. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's that, so disappointing. That's so odd. So <laughs> it's weird. They tried to retell this story like we discussed of this predator, but they tried to like spin it a little bit to make it feel like it's less his fault. 
Yeah, so so let's jump straight into yeah, it, right? So first, pretty much the only thing that I appreciated about this film was the fact that if the actor had never returned home, right? Because he had an abusive dad. He like had some crazy trauma that happened. So he separated himself from that at a young age, yeah. saved himself, and made a successful life for himself. But then is dragged back in to this fucking horrible family drama and it's eventually what like consumes him and yeah. destroys him. Yeah. So you moral of the story, if you have an abusive family or, you know, if you just can't take being around them, it's okay to just leave and never come back. You yeah. don't owe them anything. You don't owe them anything. Especially his dad put him in a fucking insane asylum as a yeah. kid, which was essentially just straight up fucking torture. Yeah. So yeah, this whole movie could have been avoided if he had just stuck to his gut because he didn't owe anybody anything. True. But within that, too, they tried to paint sort of his actions as excusable because it was like this inherited trauma because of an abusive father, which to a certain extent, because I can't personally relate with a lot of victims of abuse in that way, like growing up in an abusive household or having an abusive parent or parents, I can't speak to it in a way that's like true and honest because I've never experienced that, right? But... It seems like even within the actions of himself of, like, being this sort of carnal sexual character that they tried to paint him in this one, like, I mean, Gwen, who is married, was married to his brother, becomes a widow. And That's how they made it okay this yeah. time, that he was hitting 100%. Yeah, yeah, instead of, like, going and finding her at her shop, it's like, oh, this is his brother's widow now, and now that the brother's out of the picture, love story, which is like, what? Loves them Talbots. yeah. Big Talbot head. Mm-hmm. Really loves... Talbot head. Yeah. Loves, loves the, loves the Talbots. Big, big fan. Has the whole, the big hand, like, you know, those foam hands that say Talbot? Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but they tried to set this whole thing early on with Emily Blunt, who's fantastic. I love her. So I like everybody who was in this movie, and I didn't like any of them in this movie. They were all bad. Their characters were not good. She becomes the object of affection for Lawrence. And after... I, I I don't want to, like, jump around too much, but I guess after he's already bitten and he's suffering from the tendencies of a predator, he's, like, becoming a wolf, essentially. Like, he's getting this tunnel vision and, like, breathing heavy when he sees her. And there's they do these, like, little close-ups of, like, her mouth and her skin and all this stuff while she's talking. Yeah. That just is, like... He's getting turned on, but he's also a monster. And so he keeps telling her, like, I have to leave. I have to go. And, like, I don't know. I didn't like that. I didn't like that that's how they were doing it this time. Instead of just, like, he's a monster and he straight up kills people and he's not going to be held accountable for his actions. Now he's straight up just a sexual predator, like they had alluded to in the first one. But it's not his fault, right? But it's not his, it's and not it's his not, fault. And it's not his fault, which is like... Which is like... That weird framing is gross. It's not only generational, but it's like because <laughs> of this mental illness and because of like all of the torture he went through as a child, yeah. right? Because they kind of like, you know, he thought he saw a wolf, whatever, and then this movie was very oddly paced. And it was also not very clear. Yeah. A lot of the things that they were trying to connect or trying to make clear. Mm -hmm. But I got the idea that he was brainwashed into thinking that it wasn't a wolf that killed his mom. It was 
she killed herself. She killed herself, yeah. And through, like, extreme torture, like, putting them in the chair and then underneath the water for, like... in the ice tank. Yeah, Yeah. through that kind of thing. And through, like, just being laughed at, being taken into this room of all of these different medical scientists and just being like, oh, yeah, this is not how it is and we're going to show you, uh, you know, and he's not going to turn... Like, the whole thing was just like, fuck this. Oh, yeah, they were... They were trying to belittle. So in the moment where he's saying, he's like, no, I'm a wolf. I'm all this stuff. And they're like, we'll see how true that is. And mocking essentially what to them from their perspective is actual mental illness. They're just saying like, "Hmm, what a fool. What a dunce, essentially. Yeah. So they're like way they're talking down on people with mental illnesses. Right. That's how it was treated back then. Mm -hmm. uh, Truly. And they're also they're just not believing him. Mm -hmm. And. Let's go back to the start of everything. So, like, you know, Emily Blunt's character, she had a really strong entrance. Where she did. She, she goes in, and I, at first I was like, oh, tight. Because she goes in to see Benicio and to be like, yo, your brother's missing. And he's like, yeah. whatever, I don't care. Yeah. And she's like, he deals with imaginary demons while everybody else is dealing with real ones. Because he's an actor. She's like... Obviously, you're running away from shit, and you can't process reality and what we're dealing with. So this is why this is your life. Your life is just pretending to be this. Yeah. You know, where he thinks he's a good person. He thinks all this other stuff. But again, that's not who he is because... Because of inherited trauma. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. I think she came off... She was very strong. I was very excited from the beginning, but then they just kind of ditch all of that character development with her and use her as a prop as a love interest then she just comes back for no reason or later yeah and well, and she's like oh you were hurt trying to find out what happened to my late husband now i'm going to make sure that you're okay yeah well because like the whole thing she she's not in love with this guy but or in love with Lawrence talbot he's kind of falling in love with her just because of i guess circumstance and vicinity Sure, she's attractive, but he's there, and it's also this weird thing. But we also never see her grieve, so she's, like, dealing with her dead husband. And now his brother is, like, slowly trying to come onto her, but then she's also, like, a little receptive to it, which I didn't like that that was part of the narrative. But isn't it interesting that, like, nobody else, like, he didn't have anybody else in, like, his... I guess we can call that his fake life because yeah. he was playing a part. He was a big actor, yeah. but he just never really had real connections with anybody. And she was that first person. It seemed like how I felt. She was the first person that came in in a long time and was like, you're basic. Yeah. Right? You're, you're boring. Yeah. And didn't you give him. You don't fool me. <laughs> right. So she was kind of forcing him to deal with himself. Yeah. And I think that's why he was like kind of drawn to her because she was just... She wasn't dealing with it. Yeah. But that was, like, the only time, because every other time she just kind of enabled him. Truly. Yeah, she enabled him, but she also just, she validated his sort of predatory behavior, because even in that process, he's falling in love with her, but she's reciprocating that love, because it seems like she's also falling for him in some capacity. And then when he's like, I'm going to do something bad, you need to leave. And she's like, no, I'm going to stay. And he's like, no, you need to leave. So he just sends her off to London. He ships her away because he can't control his urges. Because he can't control himself. He can't control himself. He can't control... Yeah, which is just like making his problems other people's problems. And I know in this world where he's a monster, he could kill or whatever. That's... I don't... I I think that's a weird 
fictional way of getting around the idea that like men oftentimes don't deal with their problems. They, I was going to say emote. Men don't emote. <laughs> what do you I mean? I mean, they do. Dab. Dab. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But they unload their baggage onto other people. They're undealt with trauma. They're undealt with emotions. Because largely and oftentimes men don't cry or face any of these sort of emotional uh, lows that a lot of people have to deal with on a daily basis who aren't men generally. They don't know how to process it. So when they get into relationships that feel comfortable, they will just fully unload their baggage on the other people or persons or involved. Or maybe, maybe not even, like, they're emotionally comfortable with, but people that just, like, don't give yeah. them, like, immediately she was like, I see right through you, whatever. And then that's when they feel like, oh, shit, she can see all this. And then they, like, kind of unload. And then that's when they feel they're not comfortable expressing this with anybody. And because once they tell you these secrets or yeah. these little things and they, yeah. they latch on to you in this really unhealthy way because at that point you know their deepest, darkest secrets because they don't know how to express these things with other people because that's not okay in society by and large. And so it just makes them, it makes them want to control that person in the same way that they controlled the way that they withheld the information from other people, right? Yeah. Because at that point the person no longer just represents the sexual, in, like the love interest or whatever, right? Yeah. They represent that secret or that information that they don't want anybody else to know. Yeah. And because of that, that's sort of partial ownership at that point because they're they're housing these moments of vulnerability, these secrets that they have. Because again, they're all Batman. And that's why they feel like they have entitlement or ownership yep. over this person. Yep. Whether it's, you know, like, and, and more often than not, it is a woman, you know, but even if it is like a friend or whatever, like it creates that unhealthy relationship to where it's like, you know these things about me. Now, like, I need you to stay here and to be mine yeah. and to do all of that. To not tell anybody or to show any of this to anybody else because I showed it to you and now you're a part of this with me. And it's like, well... That's not fair, and that's also unhealthy, and that's also not how it works. Correct. Yeah. It was just really sad to see her have such a strong introduction, and then to literally, like, it just kind of became like a Beauty and the Beast type film. Her with the dress, and him is the whatever, and it just felt, it felt really loose and whimsy, and it felt like, I don't know, she... She lost her autonomy and she lost her... And she started apologizing for things. Yeah. Right? Because then even later when she's there to help him because of, like you said earlier, with the like the whole brother thing, like, you saved me, now it's my my turn to, like, save you or whatever in the in the house when um, what's-his-name from The Matrix shows up with the gun <laughs> and he's, like, a cop and he's, like, London boy. The only time that she became relevant again after he'd sent her away, because, again, it was his choice because he doesn't know how to control himself... Was when he was in trouble in London and he came to her and was like, I need help. And she's like, I'll, I'll save you. I'll help you. And that is just, that's not a character that's a, a prop. Right. She, she's demoted from being an actual character to being just kind of like dressing. Yeah. For, you know. She's ranch. Because <laughs> she's so basic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because she's white and basic. She's just ranch dressing. <laughs> and white people live it on everything. They put it on everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's. You heard it here first. She is ranch dressing. <laughs> Emily Blunt was ranch dressing in this film. Um, God. But it's true, though. It's like, it was so wacky. And then 
he goes back home and there's this whole like when we find out Anthony well before this we find out Anthony Hopkins is also a wolf and that he in fact killed the mom cool 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 we love but he also he had like this moment with Benicio Del Toro where he's like I've dealt with this my whole life and you're about to start dealing with it also and they won't believe you're not a monster but it's not your fault because you're just this is just who you are and it's a way to sort of say like it's in your DNA you can't help it as a way of excusing male behavior that's what it felt like yeah it, it absolutely yeah. and he went like a step further too because as Benicio Del Toro's character is just kind of like no no I refuse I won't do it his dad literally says, then kill yourself. Oh, he throws him a fucking razor blade. Yeah. He's like, oh, if you think this is going to be you, good luck. Uh, like, and like, oh my he God. He was like, if you think you're better than this, fucking kill yourself. Which is just this weird, like, antithesis of abuse. Like, ment- physical or, sorry, mental abuse by his father. By saying, if you think you're above your family, you should fucking kill yourself. Yo. What? But then on top of that, him taking his father's advice and kind of trying to contemplate this idea that it could not be his fault, that it is just in his DNA, it's a lot. Well, he takes that to heart, right? He does. Because he doesn't want to blame himself. He can't fathom being at fault for this. No, he can't. That would be too much effort (laughs) for him to acknowledge that it's still his actions he's still making these choices instead of working on being better he's just choosing to exist and not question it or in questioning it finds ways around taking ownership of it yeah and i think it's it's always more comfortable for somebody to be the victim of something and to blame something on somebody else rather than own up to yourself and your own mistakes and all of the things that you've done that have maybe led to that right so I want to talk about the dad here for a minute and how, first of all, that man needs to fucking clean his house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Daddy gross. He needs to close a window also because (laughs) it was dusty in there. But only certain parts of it, right? Because like when you like walk into the house, it's just fucking garbage destroyed. Like it looks abandoned. And then you go to the dining hall and it's immaculate. Yeah. So... Daddy Gross. Ooh, do you think that's him compartmentalizing trauma in his own head? And, I like, think different it is. parts of his, like, brain house and saying, I'm not going to deal with this because this looks fine, so I'm not going to look at these things. Look, this film was trying to be, like, so fucking symbolic it all was. over the place. Oh, like, my God. There was, like, Greek statues at one point, and, like, the Scotland Yard dude shot one of them thinking it was the Wolfman guy, and it's just, like... They tried so hard. Yeah. So and I'm got sh- so I'm far, sure but in the end, it doesn't even matter. Sorry. Um, it's true. It's yeah. true. So, like, so Daddy Gross, and it's revealed in the end that he would rather kill his own son and send the other one off and be left alone rather than deal with himself. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the whole reason he killed the one son and he let the wolf out after years of suppressing it is because he was going to be left alone. Because that's what he was afraid of. So he'd rather not let somebody have that option, right? He doesn't want anybody to leave him. Yeah. He, he destroys them because of that. So, like, he destroys everyone around him with his overconfidence, his ignorance, and his greed. That is daddy. And that, so much of that is... That is, is daddy. That is daddy. <laughs> <laughs> 
That feels very daddy. Yeah. <laughs> but like then that's pushed onto Benicio's character mm-hmm. to where Benicio isn't actually he's never allowed to be a person. He's an actor and he's a shadow of his father. Yeah. He's an actor who plays other people because he can't face himself. This whole thing is trying to say, like, he is his father, you are, like, this, right? And yes. he's trying to fight against that, right? So rather than, like, deal with that yes. for years and years, he tries to be somebody else to and is successful in it. Yeah. But truly, at his core, this is who he is and this is how he's going to respond to this. Yeah. I guess I didn't see or notice the tie between Anthony Hopkins and the idea of being alone. So he'd rather, like, kill his son who could have left him, right? Because he killed the first son. He killed the first son because of Emily Blunt. Because Emily Blunt and the son, who were married, were, we're going to leave. leave. Yeah. That's why Daddy keeps looking at her all weird. I'm like, is he like a gross boy, like trying to like also get in on his son's widow? But he like blamed her for trying to steal his son away, right? Like women so often are blamed for that sort of thing. For men's actions or for men or, in general. Or, or you know, for... for the sons trying to break away from the family and trying to break away from this cycle and things like that. Cycle of abuse. Yes. And to better themselves. Yeah. So... He'd rather destroy his son than see the family legacy go away. Yeah. What a fuck. Anthony Hopkins... I mean, I mean, he plays villains very well. Oh, but, no, but he's very good. I but mean, this one was just a really, like... Tame version of what he usually does, but also is just very fraught with, I guess, familial problematic shit. Yeah. And there's the whole conversation of trauma. Yeah. Like... <laughs> oh, man. So, I, I forgot about this, but I feel like we need to talk about the fact that Daddy literally constructed a cage for himself... Oh, in the cave. A shrine to his dead wife, and he would sit in this chair, like he would strap himself in or have his servants strap him in, and just while he's a wolf, stare at this shrine to this woman, showing that he felt some sort of remorse or like she was his moral compass, right? Because without her, he doesn't have that. And then once his family is threatened, he decides, well, fuck this, you know, fuck your mom. Yeah. I'm just going to let this shit loose. And then he, he gets a taste for blood. And he's just like, yeah, why am I, why have I been trying to stop myself this, this whole time? Yeah. But the fact that for, like, what, 20 years, he was locking himself in this, like, crypt, right? Mm-hmm. In this, like, compartment of this crypt. And just staring at this shrine that he had made to this woman that he had loved so much that he devoured. Yeah. That was wild. And... Also, Mama statue, like her, or I'm sorry, her like uh, sarcophagus like thing on top. Like, oh, when she started talking in the dream too, like that yeah. weird, like beautiful marble thing, and then she's just like, what does she say in the dream? Also, like the, the way she's laying on the marble thing, like yeah. she's just so like, it's so romance novel. It is. Oh my god, <laughs> very much so. Just like she should have had a glass of wine, just like she should have. Mm, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Like him just sitting there staring at her. And, like, trying to control himself by remembering her. And then what breaks that is just the loss of control. Yeah. It's, I, right? I, from, from his son. The loss of now another woman is coming in and going to take this person away. And it's interesting that he kills his son and not the woman. 
I guess that because is he felt more betrayed by the son than he did by the woman. Because maybe he felt this weird sense of betrayal with his wife, right? That she would leave him, even though he was the one who caused her destruction. And maybe that weird, that weird sort of mental game that he has to play with himself all the time, thinking, "Why would she leave me? Why would she leave me? I didn't do this. It was this monster, and I'm not that." And trying to break that barrier or compartmentalize. The bad versus who he is, the good, when in fact he's the same person. Mm-hmm. And now the idea of somebody else leaving is like, you will not leave me also. You, since he's lost control and that loss of control the first time led to the loss of his wife. Who now he that loved. Who he loved. Now this other person in his life who he loves is saying that they're going to leave. They're essentially in control of themselves leaving, he's now at loss of control for the very same thing. He He's not in control, and somebody's about to leave. Mm-hmm. So, if anything, he's just going to take control of that. He's going to say, yes, I am going to be the one that decides if you leave. Well, and it's super interesting because his overconfidence is what made all this happen, right? Because he was on a, he was on a boy's hiking trip and then went into this cave, right? Like, oh, like, and the locals tried to warn him, dude, yeah. there's some fucked up shit in there. Mm-hmm. And he was like... Whatever, bitch. Yeah, I got this. It's cool. And he finds a fucking demon and gets bit by this fucking demon and then... And doesn't believe this curse, doesn't believe whatever. And, like, so he's been blaming himself this whole time. And then I think maybe what sparked him to, like, embrace it and lean into it was he embraced the change. Yeah. In, like, the unhealthy way. He punished himself for years and then he's like, now I'm cool. Yeah, whatever. I I know that this, I have been trying to fight this, but now I'm just going to say, fuck it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, I'm going to take control of my life again. And his life being both the monstrous and the not monstrous sides of him, he's just going to embrace that. Also how, um, so speaking of set dressing and stuff like that, it really bothered me, the role of his servant. The, oh, daddy's yeah. Servant. How he's just there alone in this house with this person, and this person's whole job is to watch him, like, is to be his servant, first of all, and also to, like, protect him from himself and kill him if he ever gets out of line or whatever. Yeah. But the fact that that person is so undermined by him because he's not allowed to fight back. He thinks that he's able to fight back, but he's actually not allowed to because... Mm. The dad took the gunpowder out of the silver bullets. Because he, and he did that years ago. So, why is he employing this person who thinks that he's helping to protect people when really the dad is just keeping himself in check for a while? Maybe it's just a sense of control thing again. Even because, because, because when he's in this moment where he wants to give the control to somebody else when he feels out of control, even in that process, he takes the gunpowder away to signify that. You may think you're in control, but you're not. I still am. I still control what happens here. And even though you feel safe, you're not. I'm still kind of upset that the way that we saw him was just, all right, he's up here dead. That's it. I feel like they were building him up to be such a badass. Yeah. And in the end, like, there was literally no payoff for that. Like, it was just the throwaway line of, like, yeah, I took the I took the gunpowder of his shells. Yeah. I think it's just another form. he had, form. like, spears, and he had, like, he had a fucking arsenal besides just guns. Yeah. You know? And like, that just ended up what it was. He I, would not have gone down so easy. No. 
But I also think that it's just part of the narrative and storytelling of the mistreatment of people of color in the same way that, like, the gypsies in this movie were also fully mistreated, right? Like, he goes there hunting who is the one who caused this with the necklace that was found on his brother's body. And he's like, what does this signify? What is this? And then in that process, the cops also show up and they're like, why are you guys here? And who did that? And we heard that this is there. And, and this, then like, the wolf And comes then the wolf shows up. And it yeah. fucking terrorizes everybody. Destroys everything. But like just, everyone's just kind of like chilling. And Benicio del Toro is like, you guys are responsible for my brother's death. Even though that's fully not true. Yeah. Um, I need answers and I need them now. And then the cops are like, we're cops and we're going to terrorize people for the sake of terrorizing people. And I just, it's a reiterating of the treatment of people of color in a lot of these sort of male centric. I know Benicio del Toro is not white, but in these largely white narratives, it's the poor treatment of those who are of lower social or economic standing. Yeah. And it's, I mean, He's not treated... He's treated as, like, mixed race in this. Benicio? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there was that whole weird bar scene, which was, like, the introduction to talking about the mommy issues that he has, where he's at the bar, and then all of a sudden, like, somebody says something about his mom, and he's like... He gets, like, super hulked at, like, super raged out, right? And mm-hmm. he's just like, fuck you, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then everybody's like, whoa, what's Easy. up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... That was a really weird way, because I, I think they call her a whore in there, in her introduction. Like, somebody is bad-mouthing her and saying, like, oh, the brown-haired woman that... I think they call her a whore. And oh. it was, like, none of the townsfolk liked her because she was a person of color, and uh, Anthony Hopkins' character was in love with her. Yeah. So I was like, oh, wow, somebody else did it. But, of course, it was the dad. Yeah. You know. But, so he's kind of mixed race. He hasn't really fit in, is kind of what I gathered from it. Yeah. Right? But that's kind of the only time that they really talk about it. But it's because he has a white dad, because of all this, he's allowed to have that same privilege that his father does. Mm -hmm. Like, he becomes a super famous actor. He does this. Like, he's able to walk around the town and to do these things and say these things with no fucking repercussions, you know? And it's just... It's frustrating. Maybe we just... Now we talk about... I think we need to address the difference in violence between this film and the last one. Oh, yeah. Because the last one, you never see a dead body. And if you do, it's not brutalized. Well, or like, it's like kind of silhouetted. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's you never see the gruesome attack. Whereas this, polar opposite. This is more, it felt like more of a slasher. Yeah, it did. Which is weird because I was like, how the fuck is this wolf so fast? And how does he like literally like just tear off arms like a t-rex that was so strange and it was so graphic too like all of the deaths were so like over the top Mm -hmm. everything was very grisly everything was very just like intense and bloody and graphic and like ah. it felt like they took all of the hollywood things like with they just overdid all of the death scenes they overdid that super cartoonish transformation Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that was super weird. Or they they looked, I mean, obviously CG and, like, 2010 mm-hmm. CG. But um, I liked it. I liked how uh, scary it was supposed to look and, like, the bones breaking and, like, the elongating of the limbs and the all of that and how his jaw would, like, crack off and, like, grow and, like, elongate. 
that all was I thought that looked super cool. I thought it was funny. Yeah. It was what? It was like it was also just like it was a little wacky and like cartoonish, but it was just like, ooh, that's sick. Oh man. The scene where all of the mental health doctors are in that room mm-hmm. and they like parade him out like this man is mentally ill and we are gonna see the moon rise and nothing's gonna happen because he's dumb mm-hmm. and then as the doctor's talking just seeing that transformation and like everybody else like oh fuck and then just destroys all of these people because they don't know what they're talking about right they don't so that was pretty tight i was, was super cool. down for that same but the amount of violence in this one compared to the first one was just like it wasn't like the first one right like it was you imprint on somebody so they they would get the pentagram on the hand and then like dude you're the next target or lady you're the next target but in this one it was just everybody's a target and that was pretty intense that was intense i did like it i did too i feel we're heading into the end here where so the end, the Wolfman is on the run in London, mm-hmm. right after escaping from the mental health facility. Yeah, and then he goes to Emily Blunt's shop. This yeah. is the callback where she's in the antique shop, yeah. right? And he asks for her help. Blah blah blah. She tries to find the Gypsy Woman for her knowledge again and be like, "Yo, how can I help?" And how she's like, this? "Do you love him?" And Emily Blunt's character never says yes. she's just like it's just implied because at the end she shoots him Mm -hmm. and he gets to turn back into a man and die as a man rather than as a wolf yeah because her love allows him that redeeming moment uh which is so dumb (laughs) so such a dumb trope right yeah but like i i just i liked that she never said Yes, I love him, right? Because she's still grieving over her fucking husband. Oh, yeah, which was so confusing to me. Just, I don't know. I'm happy that they acknowledge it in some capacity, but it just seemed very unrealistic. But that's a dumb word to use. Or not a dumb word, but like, that's an incorrect word to use because this movie's about werewolves. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. But it did seem wacky. I didn't notice that she didn't say yes. That is something I didn't notice. But... I do like that more, given that I like her character from at the very beginning and then her disappearance in the film for an hour and 30 minutes. And then she's like, I'm back, <laughs> but I don't love him. Uh, bye. And that's like the end, you know what I mean? See you later. Bye-bye. This movie was so long. This movie was really it, long. It was way, way, way too long. It yeah. was so bad. But yeah, so the first one, he's killed by his daddy, mm-hmm. like right in, in the last one. He's killed by his dad, and he's hailed as a hero. Yeah. And in this one, he's killed by a woman that loves him, quote-unquote. Yeah. And he's allowed to maintain his humanity. Mm-hmm. After ki- he kills his dad, it's a whole thing. Yeah. We, we didn't even go into that. But, like, he kills his dad, whatever. That wasn't even... That was kind of dumb. That whole... that It was like a macho man fight scene where they're like, I'm stronger, no, I'm stronger. And then Benicio Del Toro ends up ripping Anthony Hopkins' head off, and... It's fine. That's it. It was whatever. The and then building he's was on the, fire, yeah. of course. So boring. Very boring. But like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you, and then oh look, you're still a person. See, oh. I, I knew you were a you're person still all human. along. Yeah. I knew, I knew this is who you really were. You're right? not really a monster. No, you're not really a monster. And then the, thank you for killing me. Oh like, my god. And she has to live with that. Yeah. 
This movie, I'm done with this movie. This movie makes me feel bad. Like there's there's too much to unpack here because there's just it was just such a mess. But on a lighter note, what does Scotland Yard have in common with stormtroopers? What? They're horrible shots. Ha! True. Yeah, he was a terrible shot. How many bullets did they shoot at him I in don't London? No, just a fucking million. It looked like, and, and they like, were all just like shooting at the same big target. He's just like hopping across the roof or like running by past even, the bus. Even in like the gypsy camp, right? They can't yeah. fucking hit this. Ugh. No. Yeah. So, um, anyways, I'm. I think I'm done with this. It was way too long and oddly paced, and uh, I hated this. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it in theaters. I also completely forgot I saw it in theaters. Oh, that's gross. Because it wasn't a like it wasn't good or notable or worthwhile in any capacity. So did you walk out? No, I watched it and then I I didn't think about it. It was just it was just a, a movie that didn't mean anything to me because I wasn't like looking at it with a critical eye. It was just like oh here's a movie. So in short, if your family is horrible and abusive and uh, treats you like shit. Just get away from them. You don't owe them shit. You don't need that. You no. don't owe them anything. You can leave. It's all cool. We promise. Yeah. You're going to yeah. be great. So, the 1942 Wolfman, who was it for? I feel like my answer is going to be the same for all of these. <laughs> um, who was it for? It was for men who don't know how to cry. <laughs> I think generally is my answer for that. And I did not like it. I was not a fan of that movie. I thought it was 55 minutes too long. And um, I didn't care for it very much. How about you? Who, who do you think the first Wolfman was for? Um, yeah, I'd have to agree. It was for men that... Yeah, I don't know how to cry. is a really good way. <laughs> I was going to say that, like, you know... Men who don't want to show vulnerability or take... Uh, ownership of their own actions and want to see themselves as like the man's man Mm -hmm. right it's it's very much for people that want to be revered as that yeah truly yeah um Um, did you like it no it was so hard for me to get through it was not good (laughs) just because it was like so predatory and like there was like some of these like moves and some of these things he was doing were like just were way too real Mm -hmm. and i was like yeah. I didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, this is a rough one. Um, so the remake, the 2010 remake, did it do anything that was new or interesting, or did it just stay the same? It tried to make them more fucked up. It tried to make them more relatable, yeah. or, or stuff like that. And it tried to, rather than just, like, a story of a predator, it tried to make that, like, a generational thing, yeah. like you were saying. And it was just... It was exhausting. It was exhausting. Um, <laughs> so I don't... I, I feel like it made it worse. I agree. Yeah. I do think it made it worse. It's not new or interesting. It's the same story except tried to wrap it more in like... Not your fault, but it is your fault. But also you got this from me and also you should kill yourself. And I was like, this is too interwoven in... It did what so many remakes and so many, like, newer films try to do, like, where it tried to make it darker and it tried to make it more complicated. And in an attempt to make it more nuanced, it just got messier. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't a better picture of this. It was just... It just... It it made the whole story seem very... um, 
Yeah, like you said, unnecessarily complicated. It wasn't... It didn't help with the story by any means. It just made it more messy. It made it more... Kind of just harder to empathize, which is, I think, the intention of adding this sort of inherited trauma was a way to humanize the character and for the audience to empathize with him but it made it harder to do that wait you mean me. you don't want to bang your brother i know sex right life? can you believe it <laughs> i know i'm so i'm i'm so weird i don't want to do that isn't that wild um who is this one for i think it was for the same audience i think it was just for like yeah i'm gonna say the same thing except it's for men who don't know how to cry who like period pieces Shit. <laughs> or for men who don't know how to cry, who pretend to be in the Civil War every year. <laughs> Civil War reenactment men who don't know how to cry is who this movie was for. Did you like it? I hated it. I didn't like it either. I was like 30 minutes in and I'm like, I have yeah. how long? Like, I kept looking at the thing and I was like, there is no fucking way yeah. that I have... 45 minutes, I have an hour, I have 30... I have 20 goddamn minutes left in this movie? It was really tough. It felt like it ended like 10 times. Yeah, truly. It was not good. Um, Anyways, thank you for listening. We watched this so you don't have to. Yeah. Um, You can feel free to write into us at nostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. We'd like to thank David Tercero for technical support. And Danny Barkley as a producer and editor. And thank you, Eric, for suffering through this with Thank me. you, Jessica. I'm glad I don't have to do it alone. I know, it's too much. <laughs> it's too much to do by yourself. So thank you, this is fun, and thank everybody for listening. Okay, bye. And bye-bye. Bye-bye.